Hello, and welcome to Fast Asleep. I couldn't go to sleep myself last night, and you know what? You cannot listen to yourself. That doesn't work. Far too critical to put myself to sleep with my own voice. It'll never happen. However, I hope it works for you. Or I hope you're just here to enjoy a really wonderful story because we've had some beautiful stories and the episodes that we're doing recently are no exception. So thank you for being here. You are about to listen to the conclusion of Algernon Blackwood's short story, The Empty House. Now in our last episode, we began a tour of this very unusual house. And in this episode, well, let's just say we're going to finish that tour. So, tuck deeply in and enjoy the empty house. Facing them directly in their way, between the doorposts, stood the figure of a woman. She had disheveled hair and wildly staring eyes, and her face was terrified and white as death. She stood there motionless for the space of a single second, and then the candle flickered, and she was gone, gone utterly, and the door framed nothing but empty darkness. Only the beastly jumping candlelight, he said quickly, in a voice that sounded like someone else's and was only half under control. Come on, Aunt, there, there's nothing here. He dragged her forward with a clattering of feet and a great appearance of boldness. They went on, but over his body the skin moved as if crawling ants covered it, and he knew by the weight on his arm that he was supplying the force of locomotion for two. Now the scullery was cold, bare, and empty, more like a large prison cell than anything else. They went round it, tried the door into the yard and the windows, but found them all fastened securely. His aunt moved beside him like a person in a dream. Her eyes were tightly shut, and she seemed merely to follow the pressure of his arm. Her courage filled him with amazement. At the same time, he noticed that a certain odd change had come over her face, a change which somehow evaded his power of analysis. There's nothing here, Auntie, he repeated aloud quickly. Let's go upstairs and see the rest of the house, and then we'll choose a room to wait up in. She followed him obediently, keeping close to his side, and they locked the kitchen door behind them. It was a relief to get up again. In the hall, there was more light than before, for the moon had traveled a little further down the stairs. Cautiously, they began to go up 
into the dark vault of the upper house, the boards creaking under their weight. On the first floor, they found the large double drawing rooms, a search of which revealed nothing. Here also was no sign of furniture or recent occupancy, nothing but dust and neglect and shadows. They opened the big folding doors between front and back drawing rooms and then came out again to the landing and went on upstairs. They had not gone up more than a dozen steps when they both simultaneously stopped to listen, looking into each other's eyes with a new apprehension across the flickering candle flame. From the room they had left, hardly 10 seconds before, came the sound of doors, quietly closing. It was beyond all question. They heard the booming noise that accompanies the shutting of heavy doors, followed by the sharp catching of the latch. We must go back and see, said Shorthouse briefly in a low tone and turning to go downstairs again. Somehow she managed to drag after him, her feet catching in her dress, her face livid. When they entered the front drawing room, it was plain that the folding doors had been closed half a minute before. Without hesitation, Shorthouse opened them. He almost expected to see someone facing him in the back room, but only darkness and cold air met him. They went through both rooms, finding nothing unusual. They tried in every way to make the doors close of themselves, but there was not wind enough even to set the candle flame flickering. The doors would not move without strong pressure. All was silent as the grave. Undeniably, the rooms were utterly empty and the house utterly still. It's beginning, whispered a voice at his elbow, which he hardly recognized as his aunt's. He nodded acquiescence taking out his watch to note the time. It was 15 minutes before midnight. He made the entry of exactly what had occurred in his notebook, setting the candle in its case upon the floor in order to do so. It took a moment or two to balance it safely against the wall. Aunt Julia always declared that at this moment, she was not actually watching him, but had turned her head towards the inner room where she fancied she heard something moving. But at any rate, both positively agreed that there came a sound of rushing feet, heavy and very swift, 
and the next instant, the candle was out. But to Shorthouse himself had come more than this, and he had always thanked his fortunate stars that it came to him alone and not to his aunt, too. For as he rose from the stooping position of balancing the candle, and before it was actually extinguished, a face thrust itself forward so close to his own that he could almost have touched it with his lips. It was a face working with passion, a man's face, dark with thick features and angry eyes. And it was evil in its ordinary, normal expression, no doubt. But as he saw it, alive with intense, aggressive emotion, it was malignant, and it was a terrible human countenance. There was no movement of the air, nothing, but the sound of rushing feet, stockinged or muffled feet, the apparition of the face, and the almost simultaneous extinguishing of the candle. Well, in spite of himself, Shorehouse uttered a little cry, nearly losing his balance as his aunt clung to him with her whole weight in one moment of real, uncontrollable terror. She made no sound, but simply seized him bodily. Fortunately, however, she had seen nothing, but had only heard the rushing feet, for her control returned almost at once, and he was able to disentangle himself and uh, strike a match. The shadows ran away on all sides before the glare, and his aunt stooped down and groped for the cigar case with the precious candle. Then they discovered that the candle had not been blown out at all. It had been crushed out. The wick was pressed down into the wax, which was flattened, as if by some smooth, heavy instrument. How his companion so quickly overcame her terror, Shorthouse never properly understood. But his admiration for her self-control increased tenfold, and at the same time served to feed his own dying flame, for which he was undeniably grateful. Equally inexplicable to him was the evidence of physical force they had just witnessed. He at once suppressed the memory of stories he had heard of physical mediums and their dangerous phenomena for if these were true, and either his aunt or himself was unwittingly a physical medium, it meant that they were simply aiding to focus the forces of a haunted house already charged to the brim. Well, it was like walking with unprotected lamps 
among uncovered stores of gunpowder. So, with as little reflection as possible, he simply relit the candle and went up to the next floor. The arm in his trembled, it is true, and his own tread was often uncertain, but they went on with thoroughness, and after a search revealing nothing, well, they climbed the last flight of stairs to the top floor of all. Now here, they found a perfect nest of small servants' rooms with broken pieces of furniture, dirty cane-bottomed chairs, chests of drawers, cracked mirrors, and decrepit bedsteads. The rooms had low, sloping ceilings, already hung here and there with cobwebs, small windows and badly plastered walls, a depressing and dismal region which they were glad to leave behind. It was on the stroke of midnight when they entered a small room on the third floor close to the top of the stairs and arranged to make themselves comfortable for the remainder of their adventure. It was absolutely bare and was said to be the room then used as a clothes closet into which the infuriated groom had chased his victim and finally caught her. Outside across the narrow landing began the stairs leading up to the floor above and the servants' quarters where they had just searched. In spite of the chilliness of the night, there was something in the air of this room that cried for an open window. But there was more than this. Shorthouse could only describe it by saying that he felt less master of himself here than in any other part of the house. There was something that acted directly on the nerves, tiring the resolution, enfeebling the will. He was conscious of this result before he had been in the room five minutes. And it was in the short time they stayed there that he suffered the wholesale depletion of his vital forces, which was for himself the chief horror of the whole experience. They put the candle on the floor of the cupboard, leaving the door a few inches ajar so that there was no glare to confuse the eyes and no shadow to shift about on walls and ceiling. And then they spread the cloak on the floor and sat down to wait with their backs against the wall. Shorthouse was within two feet of the door onto the landing. His position commanded a good view of the main staircase leading down into the darkness and also of the beginning of the servant stairs going to the floor above. The heavy stick lay beside him within easy reach. The moon was now high above the house, 
Through the open window, they could see the comforting stars, like friendly eyes watching in the sky. One by one, the clocks of the town struck midnight. And when the sounds died away, the deep silence of a windless night fell again over everything. Only the boom of the sea, far away and lugubrious, filled the air with hollow murmurs. Inside the house, oh, the silence became awful. Awful, he thought, because any minute now, it might be broken by sounds portending terror. The strain of waiting told more and more severely on the nerves. They talked in whispers when they talked at all, for their voices aloud sounded queer and unnatural. A chilliness, not altogether due to the night air, invaded the room and made them cold. The influences against them, whatever these might be, were slowly robbing them of self-confidence and the power of decisive action. Their forces were on the wane and the possibility of real fear took on a new and terrible meaning. He began to tremble for the elderly woman by his side whose pluck could hardly save her beyond a certain extent. And he heard the blood singing in his veins. It sometimes seemed so loud that he fancied it prevented his hearing properly. Certain other sounds that were beginning very faintly to make themselves audible in the depths of the house. Every time he fastened his attention on these sounds, well, they instantly ceased. They certainly came no nearer, yet he could not rid himself of the idea that movement was going on somewhere in the lower regions of the house, the drawing room floor where the doors had been so strangely closed, seemed too near the sounds were further off than that. He thought of the great kitchen with the scurrying black beetles and of the dismal little scullery. But somehow or other, they did not seem to come from there either. And surely they were not outside the house. And then suddenly the truth flashed into his mind and for the space of a minute, he felt as if his blood had stopped flowing and turned to ice. The sounds were not downstairs at all. They were upstairs, upstairs somewhere among those horrid, gloomy little servants' rooms with their bits of broken furniture, low ceilings and cramped windows, upstairs where the victim had first been disturbed and stopped to her death. 
and the moment he discovered where the sounds were, oh, he began to hear them more clearly. It was the sound of feet moving stealthily along the passage overhead, in and out among the rooms and past the furniture. He turned quickly to steal a glance at the motionless figure seated beside him to note whether she had shared his discovery. The faint candlelight coming through the crack in the cupboard door threw her strongly marked face into vivid relief against the white wall. But it was something else that made him catch his breath and stare again. An extraordinary something had come into her face and it seemed to spread over her features like a mask. It smoothed out the deep lines and drew the skin everywhere a little tighter so that the wrinkles disappeared. It brought into the face with the sole exception of the old eyes, an appearance of youth and almost of childhood. He stared in speechless amazement, amazement that was dangerously near to horror. It was his aunt's face indeed, but it was her face of 40 years ago the vacant, innocent face of a girl. He had heard stories of that strange effect of terror which could wipe a human countenance clean of other emotions, obliterating all previous expressions. But he had never realized that it could be literally true and it could mean anything so simply horrible as what he now saw. For the dreadful signature of overmastering fear was written plainly in that utter vacancy of the girlish face beside him. And when, feeling his intense gaze, she turned to look at him, he instinctively closed his eyes tightly to shut out the sight. Yet, when he turned a minute later, his feelings well in hand, he saw, oh, to his intense relief, another expression. His aunt was smiling, and though the face was deathly white, the awful veil had lifted and the normal look was returning. Anything wrong was all he could think of to say at that moment, and the answer was eloquent, coming from such a woman. I feel cold and a little frightened, she whispered. He offered to close the window, but she seized hold of him and begged him not to leave her side, even for an instant. It's upstairs. I know, she whispered, <sighs> with an odd half laugh. But 
possibly go up. But Shorthouse thought otherwise, knowing that in action lay their best hope of self-control. He took the brandy flask and poured out a glass of neat spirit, stiff enough to help anybody over anything. She swallowed it with a little shiver. His only idea now was to get out of the house before her collapse became inevitable. But... This could not safely be done by turning tail and running from the enemy. Inaction was no longer possible. Every minute he was growing less master of himself and desperate, aggressive measures were imperative without further delay. Moreover, the action must be taken towards the enemy, not away from it. The climax, if necessary and unavoidable, would have to be faced boldly. He could do it now, but in 10 minutes, he might not have the force left to act for himself, much less for both. Upstairs, the sounds were meanwhile becoming louder and closer accompanied by occasional creaking of the boards. Someone was moving stealthily about, stumbling now and then awkwardly against the furniture. Waiting a few moments to allow the tremendous dose of spirits to produce its effects, and knowing this would last but a short time under the circumstances, Shorthouse then quietly got on his feet, saying in a determined voice, Now, Aunt Julia, we'll go upstairs and we'll find out what all this noise is about. And you must come too. It's what we agreed. He picked up his stick and went to the cupboard for the candle. A limp form rose shakily beside him, breathing hard. And he heard a voice say very faintly something about being ready to come. The woman's courage amazed him. It was so much greater than his own. And as they advanced, holding aloft the dripping candle, some subtle force exhaled from this trembling white-faced old woman at his side that was the true source of his inspiration. It held something really great that shamed him and gave him the support without which he would have proved far less equal to the occasion. They crossed the dark landing, avoiding with their eyes the deep black space over the banisters. And then they began to mount the narrow staircase to meet the sounds which minute by minute grew louder and nearer. About halfway up the stairs, Aunt Julia stumbled and Shorthouse turned to catch her by the arm and just at that moment there came a terrific crash 
in the servants' corridor overhead. It was instantly followed by a shrill, agonized scream that was a cry of terror and a cry for help melted into one. Before they could move aside or go down a single step, someone came rushing along the passage overhead, blundering horribly, racing madly at full speed, three steps at a time, down the very staircase where they stood. The steps were light and uncertain, but close behind them sounded the heavier tread of another person and the staircase seemed to shake. Shorthouse and his companion just had time to flatten themselves against the wall when the jumble of flying steps was upon them and two persons with the slightest possible interval between them dashed past at full speed. It was a perfect whirlwind of sound breaking in upon the midnight silence of the empty building. The two runners, pursuer and pursued, had passed clean through them where they stood, and already with a thud, the boards below had received first one, then the other. Yet they had seen absolutely nothing not a hand or arm or face or even a shred of flying clothing. There came a second's pause. Then the first one, the lighter of the two, obviously the pursued one, ran with uncertain footsteps into the little room which Shorthouse and his aunt had just left. The heavier one followed. There was a sound of scuffling, gasping, and smothered screaming. And then out onto the landing came the step of a single person, treading weightily. A dead silence followed for the space of half a minute. And then was heard a rushing sound through the air. It was followed by a dull crashing thud in the depths of the house below on the stone floor of the hall. Utter silence reigned after. Nothing moved. The flame of the candle was steady. It had been steady the whole time, and the air had been undisturbed by any movement whatsoever. Palsied with terror. Aunt Julia, without waiting for her companion, began fumbling her way downstairs. She was crying gently to herself. 
And when Shorthouse put his arm round her and half carried her, he felt she was trembling like a leaf. He went into the little room and picked up the cloak from the floor and arm in arm, walking very slowly, without speaking a word or looking once behind them, they marched down the three flights into the hall. In the hall, they saw nothing. But the whole way down the stairs, they were conscious that someone followed them step by step. When they went faster, it was left behind. And when they went more slowly, it caught them up. But never once did they look behind to see. And at each turning of the staircase, they lowered their eyes. For fear of the following horror they might see upon the stairs above. With trembling hands, Shorthouse opened the front door and they walked out into the moonlight and drew a deep breath of the cool night air blowing in from the sea.